Hey, good morning. If you are following the Middle Eastern news, which of course I really hope you are as a Bible-believing Christian, uh, it's important for us to pay attention to what happens in and around Israel. Um, uh, and we'll talk about that today. It's kind of my point in wanting to do this, taking a few minutes and giving a briefer brief of what's happening and how it connects biblically. Um, uh, if you uh, have not been paying attention to what's been going on, if you're not that aware, uh, maybe you are not aware that uh, from Gaza, uh, Islamic Jihad and Hamas have launched over a thousand missiles into southern Israel. Uh, a number of people have been killed, lots of injuries, lots of destruction there. Israel has responded to these missile attacks uh, with 100, uh, at this point, at least 130, if not more than 130 uh, air sorties into the um, uh, air, air attacks on various targets to strike the rocket uh, sites and all of that, um, where these attacks are coming from, and also to take out a couple of key people uh, within uh, the organization. Al-Ada uh, was uh, said to have been killed, as well as now uh, reports are coming in that they may have actually uh, been able to get um, the commander of the rocket brigades uh, with Islamic Jihad. And so the world is calling for a ceasefire. The global community is condemning Israel for her actions in response to these things. Of course, the argument is made that, um, that the uh, Islamic Jihadist uh, rocket attacks are actually a response to violence inside the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, there in Jerusalem. It's uh, as one, um, uh, I believe, Palestinian commentator was mentioning on it. It's really just which comes first, the chicken or the egg. And he, and, and he made an interesting point in that regard as far as, well, who's really responsible for starting all this? And he brought it back to, um, to the fact that Israel is an occupier in the land. Uh, not in Gaza. Israel's not trying to take Gaza per se back. Uh, they handed it over. Um, but that Israel exists in the land of Israel, uh, in his mind, was really the provocating factor. And so uh, that causes us to want to take a look at, at uh, what it means to support Israel as believers. And I am of the belief, and have always been of the belief, consistently, I think this is the biblical position that, that, that Bible-believing Christians should take, is to be pro-Israel. And I don't say that with any hesitation. I don't pull back on that at all. I think Bible-believing Christians need to support Israel. Now, what that means is, is that we are taking God at his word and standing with his people, those he chose uh, out of the Ur of the Chaldees through Abraham, building a nation, a nation to whom he's made promises, uh, and who are and even remain the apple of his eye, as Zechariah would call uh, Israel, uh, saying that if you strike at God's people, you're striking at the apple of God's eye, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. Um, what it doesn't mean, though, is that we necessarily just blindly say that every single action that they take is necessarily something that we would agree with or that we would support. I'm not in any way uh, diminishing their right to defend themselves or anything like that, but we're not just blindly saying everything they do is right. What we are saying is that they are God's chosen people, and so therefore we would do well to stand on their side and not oppose to them in terms of our praying for them and in terms of our uh, believing them to be the chosen people of God in all of this. If you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God spoke about the idea he would make a great nation out of Abraham and he would bless those that bless him and curse those that curse him. In other words, by extension, those that are a blessing to Israel, God will respond in kind. Those who curse Israel, God will respond in kind. And so therefore, I just think it makes sense to be on the right side of that equation. Does that mean that God is condoning every action they do? Of course not. He has spent more time chastising his people throughout the Old Testament uh, than any criticisms we might bring to bear. 
Uh, but nonetheless, he loves them. He called them. He's made promises to them based on his own faithfulness. Genesis 15, God made a unilateral covenant with Abraham. In other words, meaning that uh, the, the promises that were made to Israel were not contingent upon their faithfulness, but upon God's faithfulness. That's an enormously key point in understanding uh, his unique relationship with Israel and the faithfulness that he will bring to bear in fulfilling the promises that he made to her. Uh, as a matter of fact, any time we study the millennium, we have to recognize that the millennial kingdom is first and foremost a fulfillment of a promise to Israel. Uh, and it is spoken of as such throughout the Old Testament and uh, even in the New Testament. If we understand it correctly, we're going to understand it as having Israel at the center of it. So that being said, um, when we see what's going on in the Middle East right now, we have to remember that it is uh, the kind of thing that the scriptures have always spoken about. The Bible has told us very clearly in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we just spent some time on, uh, that there are a group of nations around her that will come against her and will attack her and will co uh, coalesce as a unified whole attacking her, to which God will respond by defending Israel and making it known that he is doing so because he wants the nations and he wants his own people to know that he is the Lord. Um, however, even beyond that, at the end of... Um, uh, uh, you know, in Armageddon, uh, long after Ezekiel 30 and 39, or at least, I don't know, we, I don't want to speculate how many years, but, but when Armageddon happens and Antichrist has rallied the nations of the world, they will come against Israel, ultimately. Uh, and all of the nations of the world, Israel will become a cup of trembling to all nations, uh, implying that most, if not every single nation, at least all nations will be affected by this. But the implication seems to have always been understood as being that the nations as a whole are going to come against her. In other words, no one's going to stand with her. Even in Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, there are a couple of nations on the sidelines, the United States potentially being included in that number. Again, there's some de debate about that. But, um, but they're not involved in proactively helping Israel, and they're just kind of mildly rebuking those attacking her, but not really getting involved. Well, uh, again, we've talked often about what the scenario might look like getting to that place, and I think we're seeing it right now. Uh, Israel's strongest ally has always been the United States uh, in, in modern history. Um, however, uh, when the last administration left office, there was a noticeable drop-off of, of that support. Uh, it took our current president a long time to make the phone call to our partner in the Middle East and have a conversation with him. Um, uh, no doubt because they were, in, in my opinion, I'm assuming, they were sort of formulating what their position was going to be in regard to Israel and such. We finally made the call uh, and seemed to keep relations somewhat normalized. However, this recent uh, 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 chain of events in the Middle East, this escalation of tensions and, and just outright conflict between Israel and, uh, and Islamic Jihad in uh, Gaza along with Hamas, um, uh, has, you know, as, as one, um, uh, as one article puts it, as it was a test ultimately for, for the president to see what he would do. And, and the reviews are not good. Uh, of course, like anyone else, he said there should be an end to the violence and Israel does have a right to defend herself. He did say that. And so kudos for that. Um, but you know, there was not much else beyond that. It was just, you know, sort of some verbal assent to, Hey, Israel's got a right to, to defend herself. Um, however, the problem with that, although on the one hand we say, good, it's good that that's said, on the other hand, uh, both through um, just the interludes and, and, uh, and some actions that are starting to take place, 
the desire of the Biden administration is to once again uh, uh, provide funds and, and uh, rejoin treaties with, with Iran. Well, Iran is the one who is funding uh, much of what's going on uh, with Islamic Jihad and Hamas. That's not something you have to take my word for. You can do about 15 seconds worth of research and you'll find that information readily available online. And not just from friendly sources. I mean, you can just look these things up, which, by the way, I encourage you to do. Um, my hope is that, you know, what I'm sharing would be helpful, but my greater hope is that you would take it upon yourself to do some of this research even further. Uh, so that being said, um, Israel now is in a position where they are doing what I think many of, uh, many of us who've been following this for a long time sort of assume that she would do. When, uh, and, it's, and that is to basically just take upon her own shoulders her own responsibility to determine uh, her own uh, destiny and defense. Um, in the Gulf War, President Bush could call and say, hey, don't fire, don't respond right now because you're going to escalate tensions in the region. Under Trump, there was a good strong relationship between Netanyahu and Trump, and so therefore there was information sharing and there was an ability to communicate about how to respond to certain kinds of things. Under the Biden administration, that seems to have come to a very, very clear uh, end. Uh, and, and Israel's response and ramping up and really not paying attention to what anybody else thinks about it is in itself likely an evidence that Israel is recognizing that they're going to have to stand up for themselves and so therefore they're taking an extremely strong stand. As a matter of fact, they are now preparing for a ground assault into Gaza because they do not feel like these attacks from Gaza are going to end anytime soon uh, from Islamic Jihad and such. Well, again, Islamic Jihad, I was actually shocked at the number of missiles that they fired. It's, it's this seemingly endless stream. I think it, it added up to something like 30 to 35 rockets per hour were coming into, uh, into southern uh, Israel. Um, and in a region where they are used to this kind of, used to attacks, not this kind of attack, but used to attacks, um, they are even hunkering down even further, recognizing that this is a much higher degree of barrage that's going on. Well, Islamic Jihad doesn't have unlimited resources in and of itself. They're getting funds from somewhere. And there are a few different places that that seems to be coming from, but one of those, again, is Iran. Iran is Persia, as is spoken of in Ezekiel 38, and is a key player in the events that take place in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we've been talking about in the past much, and have once again come back to and begun to examine. So <clears throat> as you watch the news, watch it through a biblical lens. Recognize that what's going on there in practical reality is, of course, horrible and terrible and increasing and escalating. <clears throat> but recognize that the scriptures do tell a story about how this picture will ultimately unfold. If this is, in fact, uh, opening the door to the events of Ezekiel 38, uh, then you will want to watch Russia's place <clears throat> Excuse me, in, uh, in getting involved in this, either directly on the scenes or behind the scenes. Um, you will want to watch Persia. You'll want to watch Turkey, uh, Persia being Iran. You'll want to watch Turkey. You'll want to watch what the other nations in the area around her are saying and doing. Syria has very strongly condemned Israel. Um, uh, um, Jordan strongly condemning Israel. A lot of these nations are starting to voice their, uh, well, very quickly began to voice their, um, their, their feelings about this. And it's understandable because even though, and of course you remember how uh, toward the end of the Trump administration, a lot of peace deals have been made between Israel and uh, some of these other nations, but they were, they were economic deals. Uh, and we've, we said even at the time, wow, that's great and that's to be applauded. At the end of the day, uh, blood is thicker than money. 
And when it comes to the Islamic unity based upon their uh, shared belief in Islam, if one of those countries was going to be attacked by Israel, and of course the Palestinian issue is still a thing uh, for, uh, for the Muslim countries in the, in the Middle East, um, if something like this were to happen, I don't think many of us were going to be surprised that these nations, even though some of them have peace treaties with Israel, those peace treaties would be threatened, if not outright set aside, while this gets dealt with. So I would watch some of those nations, Bahrain and others, uh, where um, these deals exist, to see how they respond in kind. Do they close down all of that business? Do they cut ties? Do they uh, put an end to the treaties entirely? What do they do? Um, at the end of the day, um, um, these nations will coalesce against Israel because the Bible has told us so. So when we say we support Israel, and again, I'll, I'll make the statement unequivocally that Christians should support Israel. doesn't mean we condone every single action, but as a general working rule, God has chosen Israel as the apple of his eye. He has promises he has yet to fulfill. And the fact of the matter is, is that when we read these things in Scripture, there is a certain clinical white smock sort of approach to what these things might look like. But when they unfold before our eyes in real time and space, we recognize that war is ugly. Uh, these conflicts are ugly. Uh, both sides, and remember, Israel's in the land, but they're not in belief right now. And so they're not there, uh, you know, obedient to God. They're, they're a, a, at least, uh, well, I would say a, a mostly secular society. There are religious Jews, but by and large, they are not the society that they were in the Old Testament where they were governed by God, so a theonomy in that but rather they are, generally speaking, a secular uh, nation in many respects. And so we don't expect them to necessarily be acting in accordance with, you know, divine decrees and that kind of thing. But they are literally on their heels, pushing forward. They're like a cat with their claws out on their back, dangerous as ever. And they're making sure that the world around them know that. And so, as a matter of fact, one, uh, one of our viewers yesterday made the comment about when we, uh, in Ezekiel 38, when it talks about these nations coming against the city, uh, coming against Israel with unwalled villages and all of these kinds of things, that it does not appear that Israel's actually living in safety uh, when these events begin to happen. Well, the terminology that's used in the Hebrew there doesn't speak necessarily of it actually being an environment of safety, so much as Israel just feels that they are safe. In other words, they could have just a false sense of security based on their, uh, on their intelligence capabilities. Certainly the worst kept secret in Israel is the fact that they're a, a nuclear power. Uh, most, uh, I, I just literally, the other day, uh, was talking to somebody who uh, served a civilian position uh, for security in Israel for various world leaders and such. Um, it was just a chance meeting chance, quote-unquote. You know, it was just interesting that we got into a long conversation, and he had a lot of knowledge about these things. We talked, uh, had a really great, interesting conversation, but uh, he actually brought up the fact that, you know, of course they have nukes, and everybody kind of knows it. Well, um, you know, they have not officially said they've got nukes. It's not the official position, but everybody pretty much knows they're the only nuclear power in the Middle East right now, and that is one of the reasons why the uh, attempts to stop Iran from getting nukes uh, is, is so important as well. Um, um, there's a certain stabilizing element to a, de a democratic nation having weapons like that. But, um, you know, uh, um, well, madmen in leadership in Iran having them would be a very different thing. And so anyway, but that being said, as these conflicts unfold on the ground and as we watch them on the news, 
and I would be careful. Watch watch both sides. Don't just watch one side of the news. If you're prone to uh, to to watching news that takes the Palestinian side and everything, well, recognize that yes, they are suffering some atrocities, but you need to recognize too that they they are not just fighting for existence. They're of a mindset that wants to see Israel not just pushed back, but destroyed, just swept into the sea, exterminated. And so Israel has, uh, for pretty much her entire history, always had to stand against that kind of thing. It's a very different mindset in the Middle East. I have been there a long time ago, granted, but, but it's been something that I've been watching for over 20 years at this point. The mindset in Israel is different than what we would think of in the West, because we are not fighting for survival. They literally, every day, uh, are fighting for survival and, and, and wondering when the next attack is going to come. And so when an event like this takes place, this is not some short little ping-pong match going back and forth. They are digging in under the assumption that if they don't, it could mean their end. Uh, and so that being said, um, uh, watch both sides. You don't want to be one-sided in your understanding of things. But if you want to be standing on the right side of this issue... Um, then biblically speaking, it just seems clear to me that you have to be pro-Israel as a believer. You cannot be nominal about that. You certainly cannot be on the side of those that would seek the extinction of the apple of God's eye. That just seems completely counterintuitive from a biblical standpoint, which, you know, raises another point, and that is that Christians need to be biblical thinkers. Uh, we need to not just surmise things from what we see on the lay of the land, but the scriptures need to inform our worldview. Uh, that is true both spiritually, it's true politically, it's true in terms of, of, of just a global worldview, what's going on. Uh, again, we don't blindly condone every action and say it's right or good, but as a general working, biblical general working rule, we know that God has said what he has said about Israel, and they are his chosen people. And so to stand against them, or to seek their destruction, or to be on the side of her enemies, uh, just makes no sense from a biblical perspective. Um, and uh, I know I'm talking strong about that, but, um, but I, I think as we see things unfold and Christians are torn about what to do, we must look to the scripture to answer that question. And if this is what God has said, then we want to you know, make sure that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We want to pray for God's people. We want to see, uh, you know, when we pray, we, how, probably a hundred times at this point over the course of the last year or two, We've talked about the idea of, uh, or a year, I guess, we've been doing this podcast for a little over a year. But we've prayed, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a that is a fundamentally political prayer. We are asking God to change the entire order of things on this earth and for Jesus to rule and reign from Jerusalem, okay? The implications, uh, the far-reaching implications of that ought not be missed, and so, um, so that being said, what we, we're, we're wanting God to fulfill that which he has said he's going to do. And that a lot of that, uh, central to that, is what happens ultimately with Israel. So that being said, uh, this actually was not even as brief as I kind of intended to be, but hopefully it's food for thought. Hopefully it drives you to the scripture. Hopefully it encourages you to watch the news and to make sense out of what's going on out there. As always, if you have questions, comments, and that, I, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, I've been, I've been kind of watching what goes on in the Middle East for a long, long time. Um, but that, in no way do I feel like an expert. It's, uh, again, it's different there. And um, there's much that goes into understanding that. And so I continue to study like anyone else, and I would never claim to be an expert. But to the best of my ability, I try to present these things in, uh, uh, in a way that is fair, but certainly, uh, and certainly fundamentally even at the heart of that, 
uh, biblical. So, um, so again, if that's it, if you have questions, comments, anything like that, feel, feel free to share them on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can go to my website at parsonspad.com. You can uh, comment there. You can watch the videos. You can email me. You can subscribe to the audio version of the podcast. Uh, there's also a link there where you can go to Odyssey, where you can also subscribe to these videos there. Um, then, of course, uh, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area and you want to come by and pay us a visit on a Sunday morning, or um, uh, or if you're if you live in Middle Tennessee, if you live anywhere around Franklin and you're looking for a, a Bible teaching church, we'd love to have you come out and and uh, and fellowship with us. And uh, so you can learn about us at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. So thanks for watching as always. It's good to spend time together going through these things. Again, we will probably spend more and more time talking about these things. Certainly as the ebb and flow of the activities in the Middle East happen, we will try to commensurate to that sort of, uh, you know, ramp up uh, what's what our, our explanation of these things and go to the scripture to, again, see them through the clear lens of God's word. So, all right. Well, Father, thank you for our time today. We pray that, Lord, you'd bless uh, Father, our study of your word, that, Lord, we would understand things the way you want us to, uh, the way you, well, I don't know if we could ever really understand them as fully as, as you understand them, obviously, but help us to understand them as best we can. Help us to see things through the lens of your word. Help us to recognize uh, and be discerning about what we see going on around us. And by discerning, Lord, help us to go to your word, that we'd have a biblically uh, founded worldview that would help us understand what's going on around us. We do love you and thank you for, um, for, for Jesus coming to set us free from our sins. We thank you that even, even before us Gentiles coming to Christ, Jesus came first for his own, and one day he will return to save his own. And so we look forward to that day, as Paul says, when all Israel comes to believe. And so uh, in the meantime, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for your people. We pray that they would act rightly and that they would do what is right. We understand uh, their need to defend themselves, Father, but we do pray that, Father, they would um, begin once again to open their hearts and minds to you and, uh, and do things in a way that, uh, uh, that ultimately can bring you glory. We know that right now that's, uh, that's not where their hearts and minds are, but uh, one day they will see their Messiah, the one whom they've pierced, and they'll weep over him and recognize him and ultimately come to believe in him. So prepare their hearts and minds for this, Father. And we do pray that this happens in our day, that, Lord, as, uh, as these days unfold, uh, these very days that we're living in, that we would see these things come to fruition and we would see Jesus establish his kingdom. Father, we love you, we praise you and bless you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.